You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Luke. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 40, what we're reminded of in this text is the importance of personal faith in Christ. It isn't faith that is powerful. It's Jesus uh, that is powerful. It's God who is powerful. Uh, However, he is looking for people of faith, people who will step out and venture with him and seek him and position themselves in places where they might receive the power of the Lord. Faith-filled contact with Jesus leads to an exchange of power. And so that's what we're going to look at today in really one massive story that blends together two beautiful stories into one in all three gospels that record its contents. You have uh, first, a, a ruler of a synagogue with a 12-year-old girl who is dying and at the point of death, Jesus will go to his home in order to heal the little girl. But on the way, Jesus is going to interact with a woman who had a sickness for 12 years. And in both cases, belief, faith, trust, confidence in the Lord is required. Now, in verse 40, it says, now when Jesus returned, All right, so we remember that in our previous study, Jesus had crossed with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee over to the eastern side of the seashore, ministered to a demoniac, cast out the demons from him, and at the request of the villagers, went back to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. And so when he returned, verse 40, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting uh, for him. So here we see now the intense and extreme popularity of Christ. We're getting nearer to the cross at this point. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus's feet, he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So here we have the initial scene. First of all, it begins with this man. His name is Jairus. His position is also stated. He was a ruler of the synagogue. So he was a community leader. And he came and fell at Jesus's feet, imploring him to come to his house. And the reason, the reason that he risked everything, the reason that he was not concerned about his social status or what people might think of him, the reason that he fell at the feet of the Lord is stated for us in verse 42, for or because he had an only daughter, Luke records. This is the only girl, the only daughter that he had. She was about 12 years of age and she was dying. She was at the point of death. And so Jairus, in his desperation, comes to the Lord. And it says in verse 42, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Jesus was so willing to go to Jairus's house to interact with his little girl. Jesus responded to the prayer of Jairus. He went where Jairus wanted him uh, to go. Now, one of the fascinating things to me is that 
it appears that this was done in the town of Capernaum. It had become Jesus's adopted ministry center. And if it was in Capernaum that this particular miracle occurred, Jairus, as the ruler of the synagogue, was using a physical structure, the synagogue, that had been built by the Roman centurion that we studied previously in Luke's gospel. That Roman centurion had actually funded the building of that very synagogue. And you might remember that the that centurion didn't even want Jesus to come to his home and sent messengers to Jesus and announced, you have authority, so if you just speak the word from afar, my servant will be healed. Jesus marveled at the faith of that man, but he did not rebuke Jairus for not saying the same thing. No, he says, okay, that's fine. You're not asking me to heal your daughter from afar. You want me to actually be there present with you? Jesus went with Jairus. I think that where there is faith, any at all, even small as a mustard seed, Jesus will go. And so he travels with Jairus. The people press around him and it says in verse 43, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Now, Jairus's situation has its own tone of desperation attached to it. His only daughter, his only little girl, only about 12 years of age. She's so young and sweet and innocent. He's got all these memories of her life and her dancing around and playing and tickling and all of that. And she's dying. She's at the point of death. She's going to a horrible and dark place. But now we have this other character, a woman as the crowd is pressing around Jesus, a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And her condition was such that for those 12 years, she spent everything that she had. Luke says all her living, she had spent on physicians. Uh, she had tried to find healing in the realm of science, but it wasn't able to take care of her and she could not be healed by anyone. She has her own situation of desperation and darkness. Now, obviously these two characters, the little girl and this woman are held in contrast with one another. Partly we know that just from the fact that every time their stories are told, they are told together in tandem. Additionally, we know that they're held in contrast because both of them had the number 12, 12 years attached to them. The little girl was 12 years of age. The woman had a discharge of blood for 12 years. But what is there in contrast between them? Well, the little girl, we might say, likely lived a life of bliss and enjoyment. Those early years of life, the innocence of childhood. Well, this woman experienced pain and agony and hurt and darkness. The little girl was the picture, probably, of innocence and purity living in her father's household. But this woman, because of her flow of blood uh, and because of what people felt about this kind of sickness in that era, was an outcast and a picture of 
sin. The Old Testament had declared that this kind of discharge would keep you and put upon you the title of unclean. And so they had taken that concept and had so distorted it to the point that the idea was that you were somehow sinful as a result of this uncleanness. Uh, That wasn't what God was communicating. He was communicating an uncleanness within mankind, the need for a remedy, the need for the cross amongst all of mankind. But they took it as personal sin within her life. So she's a picture of innocence, the woman a picture of guilt. The little girl lived in community. Uh, She had a father who was the ruler of the synagogue. She was embedded in that community. This woman was isolated. The little girl lived inside the ecclesia, the gathering, but this woman was outcast. And so there's an obvious contrast between the two. Now, she spent everything that she could and could not be healed by anyone. I think it's important to notice that in both of these environments, faith was going to be needed. But in both of their situations, there were ingredients that brought them to the place of seeking after the Lord. The need for faith was evident. And as is the case for most of us in our lives, the thing that drove them to the feet of Jesus was a personal tragedy or trial inside their lives. And so they come to the Lord crying out to him. Now, the woman with the flow of blood, it says in verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And uh, some people believe that this was the garment that was required covenantally of the people of Israel in the ceremonial law. But she touches the fringe of his garment And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Now, this is fascinating right off the bat to think of a miracle happening in this kind of way. Mark's gospel tells us that she had a conversation inside of herself and that she had said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She'd come to the conclusion that if she could touch his garment, uh, she would be healed. Now, as we're going to see in a moment, it was her faith in Jesus that led to her healing. It's not that she had faith in a garment. It's not that she even believed that Jesus was doing his miracles by the power of some uh, spiritual outfit that he was wearing. No, it's that she believed that there was power inside of him, but that if she says, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. In other words, power will go through him to his garments into me and I will be touched. Just a powerful thing that she said. Now, she immediately experienced a healing. The the discharge of blood immediately ceased. And Jesus said, verse 45, who was it that touched me? Jesus pauses as this crowd is moving to Jairus' house. He stops and asks the question, Who was it that touched me? Jesus knew that the touch of faith had occurred. He knew that a transaction had happened. Now, the response is 
interesting. It says first that when all denied it, everybody there, you know, they don't know why Jesus is asking such a question, but they all deny it. But finally, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. So in other words, Peter steps up and says, okay, I'll talk some sense here into Jesus. I'll clarify the situation. Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody's pressing up against you. What are you doing saying who touched me? Many people have touched you. But Jesus said, verse 40, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, some people believe that Jesus knew exactly who had touched him and who the power had left his body and entered into. And some believe that Jesus at this point, as he had divested himself of the privileges of his deity, actually didn't have revelation to know who it was who had touched him to receive that power. But think for a moment of the beauty and the majesty of that phrase. I perceive that power has gone out from me. Mere contact with Jesus led to a transaction of power. And he wants to know who was it who touched me. He wants to give them an opportunity to report of the thing that God had just done in their lives. Power has gone out from me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that line, I say to myself, I would love to have more power from Jesus, leaving him and coming into me. I need the power of Jesus to enter into my life. It says in verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now here, I'm so proud of this woman and her declaration of testimony of what the Lord had done in her life. They say that there are four major levels of communication. The most base level is the declaration of fact, you know, to say it's sunny out today or what nice weather. That's the declaration of fact. There is then sharing your opinion. Beyond that is the expression of feelings. And then finally, there is confession. And this woman falls down and confesses before all what Jesus had done to her and her story and what she had. Now, even from our vantage point, we understand this was a very private interaction that she had had with Jesus. She had a flow of blood. Even in our modern era, that kind of infirmity is so private in nature, not something that a person, a woman would want to declare in a public kind of way. But in that culture, especially, a, a stigma was attached to it that would have definitely caused her to want to remain quiet and private. But instead of holding the testimony of what Jesus had done in her life privately, she declared it publicly. And as she declared it, this beautiful thing was happening where she was 
receiving encouragement, but Jairus himself was being encouraged that Jesus was powerful to deal uh, with his daughter. Now, in verse 48, after she declares, Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, Jesus here refers to this woman as daughter. This is the only place that Jesus calls a woman daughter. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they tell this story, all record that Jesus called her so. And I think that as he called her daughter, there's obviously some kind of beautiful connection there. First of all, wouldn't it have wonderfully spoke to the woman? This woman who had been in isolation and outcast for 12 years. She couldn't go to the temple to worship the Lord. She couldn't offer sacrifices to know that she's a daughter, that she has a family, that she's no longer alone. She's no longer in isolation, but she has a father, a family in what she's found in Jesus. But beyond that, it speaks not only of the restoration of the woman, but don't you think it would serve as a reminder for Jairus? Listening to Jesus speak to this woman and call her a daughter, Jairus would think of his own daughter, his love for his daughter, his compassion for his daughter. And now he's seeing that Jesus looks upon this woman as a daughter, and perhaps even Jairus had known this woman in years past. And here he discovers the love of Christ for this woman. Perhaps it encouraged Jairus' heart to know that Jesus, in loving this woman, would love his own daughter as well. But the powerful thing to me is what Jesus said to the woman in verse 48. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The faith of this woman had brought her healing. Not that the power was in her belief, but that the power was in her belief in Jesus Christ, her trust in Jesus Christ, her faith in Jesus had healed her. Now, at this point, I have to ask, do we not perhaps long for that kind of transaction with Jesus? Don't we wish that we could bring to him, in one sense, our weaknesses or our infirmities, our poverties, our addictions, and simply by touching him, we could be made well today. Isn't there a touch of faith today? She had said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. But I think the answer is that yes, the Lord has left us an incredible amount of things that we can physically latch onto that are ways for us to express our faith in him so that a powerful transaction can occur. I was watching a video recently that demonstrated in super slow motion the way that lightning works. There are these faint, almost thunderbolt-like things that come out of the sky. They're called step leaders. Very faintly, they come out of the sky. They're looking for the ground. Then from the ground grow these beams of light called positive streamers. And when one of those step leaders connects with one of those positive streamers, the bolt of lightning then strikes through that step leader, now becoming a bolt of lightning, and hits 
that object upon the ground. And I think we might say to ourselves, I would love to have the power of Christ strike me. Is there not a contact point for my faith in the here and in the now? And I think that the Lord has left us many. I think ministry itself so often, serving our local church, stepping out into new ventures with the Lord, planting of churches, these are contact points for our faith. And we place our faith in the Lord in those moments and we experience and receive the power of Christ in our lives. Perhaps daily as you open up the word of God, holding the scripture in your hands, a physical thing that has great spiritual significance and meaning. There is a transaction that occurs as your mind is being renewed by the Lord as you receive his truth to go out into the wilderness for prayer before the Lord, to open up your mouth, a physical activity where spiritual health and transaction is occurring. But I think so often there are other elements as well. You think about the church ecclesia, the gathering together of the body of Christ. We come together physically. We have physical buildings and lights and sound systems whereby we gather together and honor the Lord and sing to him and study his word. But as we gather together, Jesus is especially present there in that moment. We know that God is everywhere all at once, but we also know that where two or three are gathered together, there he is in the midst in a special kind of way. And so when we gather together, it's a contact point for our faith. People say, I want to see the Lord work in my life, but they neglect the word, neglect prayer, neglect the church, neglect service. <laughs> but when you do these things as an instrument of saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I'm looking to see you work in my life. The giving of the tithe, the gathering together in fellowship, confession as we confess our sin appropriately to one another. These are elements that are an if I, I will be kind of statement. She said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. If I open my hand in generosity, I will be less selfish and concerned with the material effects of this life. If I read the word, I will be wiser, more intelligent, less prone to foolishness and folly and error. If I open my mouth in prayer, I will be experiencing the presence and power of God. If I go to the church gathering, I will be made more like Christ as he meets with me. If I confess my sin unto the Lord and unto my fellow believer, I will be made well as I'm brought into the light. I think there are so many contact points and touches of faith today, but I'm getting a little preachy and believing so much that here we want to have a faith in the Lord. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Placing our faith in the Lord. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, when he spoke of the giving of alms and uh, to our fellow man and private prayer to our Father in heaven and fasting within our bodies in our attitude towards the self, he said concerning all of them, when done appropriately, he said in your father who sees in secret will reward you. If I 
I will be. So just a beautiful thing. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Now, this is an interesting wrinkle. I'm sure Jairus was there listening to all of this happen between Jesus and the woman and was perhaps wondering if they could continue on. He knew that his little girl was in a dangerous spot. Perhaps he didn't appreciate this pause like the woman did, but these messengers come and announce, your daughter's dead. Your daughter is dead. And do not trouble the teacher anymore. In other words, uh, not only do they bring bad news, but they attempt to apply the bad news. They say, the teacher can do nothing here. He, he could heal her, but he can't raise her. So do not trouble the teacher as if all Jesus was, was a teacher. But they say, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Don't we know that that is a hard statement that Jesus spoke to this man. Hopefully we're seeing and hopefully Jairus was encouraged by the woman's testimony. But no matter how encouraged he was, deadness is so hard to believe through. Jairus knew within his mind how things worked. He knew that his little girl was dead and that people don't come back from that kind of thing. But here Jesus says, no, do not fear, only believe. It says in Romans 4 verse 19 that Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. God had promised them a child. They had not had yet a child. And Abraham believed God, even in the face of absolute deadness. It is so hard, though, to keep our eyes on and to continue to have eyes of faith in every situation, to only believe, to look upon our children and only believe, to look upon our church and only believe, to look upon our community and only believe. But we must keep that vision in our mind's eye. Jesus says, do not fear only believe. Fear is the enemy of faith. So he's saying here, listen, don't set your minds upon your mind upon what you can see. Don't set your mind upon what you know. Instead, set your mind upon belief. Believe, believe, believe. And when he came to the house, verse 51, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. It's interesting. Peter actually would probably take a little mental note as to how Jesus did this because years later in his ministry in the book of Acts, he would actually raise someone back to life in a very similar kind of way. And all were weeping and mourning for her. These are the people outside. But Jesus said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. Jesus saw the truth of this little girl's life. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. So probably you had these professional mourners that were hired there to announce to the neighborhood that a tragedy had occurred inside this home. And they laugh at Jesus when he announces the girl is not dead, but sleeping. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. So gentle, so tender, taking her by the hand. And her spirit returned. She got up at once 
and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Just an incredible miracle, raising a little girl from the dead. We've seen two of Jesus's resurrection, not not in the final resurrection kind of sense, but we've seen now Jesus raise two people from the dead. The final person would, of course, be Lazarus being raised from the dead. But this little girl comes back to life. Now, the fascinating thing to me here in all of this is that in the Old Testament, two ways in which you could become defiled were to touch someone with a bodily discharge or to touch a corpse. Here, Jesus touches both, yet he is not changed. They are changed and they become beautifully and wonderfully clean. Continue to run to the Lord. Continue to interact with Jesus. It is he that will change you and transform your life. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.